0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 158 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Liam Toher as we discuss Liverpool's 2-1 defeat at
1: Tottenham. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: So this was a game, dare I say, dominated more by the officiating than by the three goals that were eventually scored. Curtis Jones sent off... For Liverpool midway through the first half. And then Son Hung Min, as he's, I think he scored now six times against Liverpool, opened the scoring 10 minutes before the break. But Liverpool were able, despite having 10 men, to find an equaliser just before half time through Cody Gakpo, who then went off injured. And then they held on until the midpoints of the second half when another red card befell them, this time Diogo Jota, and they were reduced to nine men. And it looked as if they were going to manage to cling on for a point and what would have been an absolutely superb point in the circumstances against one of the best teams in the division at the moment. What a cruel own goal for Joel Matip with what was virtually the last kick of the game. Sees Liverpool lose for the first time this season. Their long-combeaten streak stretching all the way back to April comes to an end, but there's obviously a big feeling of injustice around it. Liam, before we get into all the refereeing controversy from this game, and there is a lot, unfortunately, um let's have your three-word match review, please. And also just your overriding emotions at the moment. Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it a mix of both?
1: Um yeah, start with the three-word match review. Um I'll keep it PG thirteen because I don't want to get booted off Spotify. Um didn't deserve that. Um, as for over- opening I was saying to someone this morning that they typically win Joe, you get a match like that where you kind of feel that you got shafted by the officials. Um, Joe, I'd be angry about it for a few hours. I go to bed. I get up the next morning and I feel like I processed it. Today is an exception. Like, I'm still seething about it in in truth. Um, Yeah, it's just like, I mean, it's telling that you have fans of rival clubs all over social media saying, Ah, here, lads. Liverpool got absolutely done. Well, I think that, that probably says <laughs> that I think that might be the biggest indictment of, of the officials' performance yesterday.
0: Yeah, and obviously Gary Neville on the coverage as well, um, making similar points. Um I've gone with uh Water Force mm-hmm. because um that for me was we've seen so many VAR scandals, VAR embarrassments. I've never seen anyone like that to be honest, in the Premier League since it was introduced and Liverpool, unfortunately, are the team that was on the receiving end of it. Um, In terms of my overriding emotions, I think, to be honest, pride. I mean, every time I think of the own goal at the end, my stomach does turn a little bit because, to be honest, watching the coverage, I was pretty much celebrating as Massive kicks the ball because he's he's cleared it away, he's put it behind and, and that felt like Tottenham's last chance. And then, that moment of dejection when you see the ball hit the back of the net. Um, You know, it was so close to the finish line and the draw would have been... It would have definitely felt like a victory. And I know that is a bit of a cliche, but I think it would have been 100% true in this case. And to be honest, I think there has to be so much respect for the performance that Liverpool managed to produce in that game. I mean, yes, you know, they didn't necessarily... I mean, to be honest, when it was 11 against 10, Liverpool, I'd say, looked just as likely to win the game as uh, as Tottenham did. And then when it goes to 11 against 9, it becomes all about the kind of backs-to-the-wall heroism, really. And and there was a lot of that, and Liverpool defended very valiantly, and Tottenham didn't really look like they were going to be able to break that kind of low block down. Um, and it was just a, a phenomenal effort and a, a brutal ending to it. But my hope is that the players can sort of develop a siege mentality a little bit based on what's just happened, but also recognize how well they battled and how much kind of the fans appreciate the spirit they showed, and that it's not too much of a of a blow to them going forward, and that if anything they can use that kind of circumstances and how cruel it was to to rally themselves and pick themselves up because it won't be easy, I think to to fall to the canvas a little bit after a game like that. and there's obviously another huge one next weekend where we'll where we'll get a gauge. Against Brighton of how much it affected Liverpool overall. So let's get into the refereeing decisions then, Um, and we'll kind of go chronologically. So we'll start with the red card for Curtis Jones. What did you think of that one, Liam?
1: Um, It's a tricky one, and it's I think it's one of those where, like, I watched it in real time. I was a bit like, "Oh, seriously? Is he actually going to upgrade that to a red?" Um, then I saw the replays and I thought, oh, he could be in trouble here. Then I saw the still image and I thought, oh, that's it, he's gone. Um, yeah, it's what, it's, it's a hard one because I think it's one of those where I think if you flip the equation and the same challenges committed to one of our players, um, we're screaming for a red card and we're not saying anything about, oh, that he made contact with the ball first, then his foot slid over the ball, etc. etc. Um, I think what did annoy me was that when uh, Simon Hooper went to the VAR monitor, the first thing he saw was that still image of Jones's leg making contact with Bas- Basuma's shin, and it wasn't he wasn't being shown the like the slow mo of the incident or the incident in real time. So he, that was the first thing, and as someone, as I saw in the scenes. point pointing out that if that's the first thing he sees when he goes to the monitor, then his mind is made up straight away, and I think even uh, I seen Curtis Jones knew that it's, like when, because how quickly Hooper came back from the VR monitor, I say Jones might as well just start to walk towards the dressing room there and then, like Roger, because he knew what was coming. Um, yeah, it's I can understand why he was given, but I suppose I, I think on another in if, if it played out slightly differently, he might have stuck stuck with the yellow.
0: Yeah, I don't think it was a red card, to be honest. And I I kind of take your point in terms of maybe if it happens, Liverpool would would make a different argument. But the way I see it, you know, players going over the ball is obviously, you know, dangerous, not only to the opponent, but just dangerous in this day and age in terms of staying on the pitch. But I don't think what Jones was doing was reckless because essentially what's happened is he's got his foot on the ball his foot slipped off the ball and then planted basically in the leg of the of the Tottenham player. And don't get me wrong, you know, obviously really glad. I think it was Pissouma who was on the end of the tackle. I'm glad, glad he was okay. And yeah. um, it did look a little bit nasty based off that one shot. But I just don't think that, you know, I don't think it's, it's a red card under the law. And if in some way it is construed as a red card under the law, then I just don't see that that should be a red card. In football, really, just something so sort of accidental, I suppose. And I know accidental doesn't cover it now, but there was no kind of excessive force from Jones's ND. That I honestly think it is purely just him stumbling off the ball, and he shouldn't have to leave the match and have a three-match suspension for that. Like that, that to me just seems excessive. I think maybe similar to McAllister against um, Bournemouth, maybe it's an orange card. Like maybe. Yeah you can make that argument, but I just, that can't be a red card, um, in my eyes. And, you know, a lot of people made the point that it kind of ruined the game. And to be honest, the way the game was shaping up, you you have to say it did. And, um, people obviously did very well still with 11 against 10, but became a totally different task for them. And, you know, there's a lot of talk obviously about the, the amount of red that will have picked up, but I think this one and the one, um, for McAllister, you can argue were, were very harsh as well. And, uh, I take your point as well, Liam. I completely agree on, on the VAR monitor, I think, because we've got this issue where the referee is going over to the monitor and is basically being told, here's why I think your decision is wrong, see if you disagree. And I always think it should be, go and have another look at it, see what you think. And inherently, every time the referee goes over to the monitor, he's going to think he's done something wrong because that's why he's being sent over there. But mm. I think... The context is really important in terms of the messages he's receiving and things like that. And to see that still at the start, it's going to be hard for him to overcome that. And Klopp talked in his post-match press conference about how important it is to watch these things in full speed. I personally think that's another thing that should happen when the referees are looking at it because you get a much better sense of how it actually came about when you watch it full speed. And yeah, so I just think the way the check was handled the, way, the eventual decision that was reached i just don't agree with either of those things um ultimately um you know the tottenham hotspur stadium reacted really angrily towards jones but again i think that's the nature of the replay that you see and if you actually watch yeah. it in full speed you can you know you can actually tell what's happened um so i think he's very unfortunate to be honest and also for him i mean he's been in in good form recently mm-hmm. and, and to miss now he'd be missing the game against uh, brighton it's, next week Robbie. And misses the derby and then i think it's forest after that i want to say off the top of my head yeah correct so he's not going to be back until god you're probably looking at at some point well, like the
1: Cup, it's, it's the the
0: game. oh against uh, against bournemouth yeah yeah, the two European yeah so European. right right at the end of um right at the end of october maybe into the start of november he's out for now and obviously yeah. today is the first of october so that just gives you a, a sign of it Um, so i think the bit of injustice over that one obviously the major. Um, scandal concerns the disallowed goal for Luis Diaz where the VAR thought that the goal had been given when he looked at it said check complete which was taken to mean check complete he's offside and sure enough he was onside and it should have been a legal goal I mean can you put into words what you feel about that one Liam
1: Mm. where do we start it's just, it was a collective calamity. I suppose the first thing you're looking at is like I generally try to cut the on-field officials some slack because they have to make the side there and then like, they, they have to see things in real time and make an instant decision. So generally I, there are very tight offside calls where I would have full sympathy with the assistant referee who was on the touchline. I think in this instance it was clear enough and he seemed to be in a good enough position that he should have noticed Romero's leg, especially where Romero was, you know, on his side of it from, from his vantage point as to where Luis Diaz was. Um, so, and so that was the first thing. Then obviously we went up to VAR and the, the funny thing about this is, I know if maybe probably isn't funny it's probably the wrong word, but the, I think the baffling thing about it is that we're so used to VAR checks which take the average length of an episode of The Simpsons and, you know, I, and, and, it, and yet they still seem to arrive at a call which defies comprehension. Yesterday was probably the one occasion when you probably would have wanted them to take, you know, a bit more time about it. You know, and they didn't. And then to hear that, oh, that the, the chaps in the VAR boot in Stockley Park looked, just said uh, looked at it and somehow managed uh, to be of the impression that the goal was given and say, yeah, check up please, you're carry on. It's it if that's it meant to try and make Liverpool fans feel a little bit better, like right? To say, Oh, okay, you have you want an explanation, you have your explanation. If that's meant to make us feel okay, at least we can see how it happens now and that we will accept it and move on, then as Roy Keener said, they're living in cuckoo land, it is beyond passion and beyond comprehension. And I think the one. Look, fair enough, I wouldn't referee a game if you offered me the value of the price of a house because it is so thankless and you just get so much grief over it. But I think Klopp made a fair point and he was trying to restrain himself last night in his his post-match when he said that players and managers will obviously in the heat of the moment say things about contentious decisions and risk getting fined, risk getting bans and all the rest of it. I think what galls people so much about the, about the officiating, particularly in, in the Premier League, is that like, how many times do we see the same names cropping up? Do you know, they get involved in these sort of controversies? And then you can guarantee when it's you know, the next couple of days when they make the appointments for the Premier League matches for next weekend, you're going to see Simon Hooper attached to a game. You're going to see Darren England doing, doing, doing a game, etc., etc. It's the, I think it's just that there's no, there doesn't seem to be any, you know, transparency from the PGML. like there, there is in occasional cases, but it just doesn't seem to happen often enough that, um, you know, to say, right, guys, bottom line is he made a major mistake yesterday, which had a heavy influence on the outcome of a match, and um, so, in the same way that players get banned, they Torch the trolls, as you say, it's getting three-match getting banned. Why isn't the same happening to the officials when they so, so clearly um, abdicated to their duty last night?
0: Yeah, I think this error as well, because it is so objective. It's not just, you know, say the Onana one um, against uh, Wolves on the first day of the season. I mean, that's a, that's a clear penalty, but... Maybe there's a scenario where you argue that it's not, you know, maybe one, you know, mm. 10 people out of 100 or whatever think it's not a penalty. Yeah. Um, this one is clear as day, 100% on side, should be a goal. Um, so I think because it's a unique case, and to be honest, uh, the v- Darren England is, is pro- presumably the one to blame because he just misread the situation and what was happening. You know, obviously the, the repercussions should be greater because of that. And I don't think anyone has any faith that, that they will be. And, you know, there is obviously a wide discussion to be had here about the the kind of protective nature of of the PGMOL and um, how there is no kind of proper accountability and how that's not going to lead to lasting change with, you know, the standard of the officiating and things like that. I mean, in this particular case, you kind of knew something was up from the outset, really, because you saw... The way it kind of flashed up on the screen and was checked so quickly, you were like, okay, that's a bit odd. Um, and then I think we were all just there staring at, at, the, at the lines, trying to work out what possible way it could have been offside, and there just wasn't one. W- when we saw it, obviously there was people drawing lines, things like that. Um, Mohammed Salah liked the tweet uh, from being sports. Hasn't liked the tweet for six years, apparently, but he liked the tweet um, of them kind of drawing their line to show that Diaz was onside, um, which kind of says everything, really. Um dressing room's absolutely seething. I mean Alexis McAllister commented on uh, Christian Romero's Instagram post saying it was easier with ten play- with their twelve players um mm-hmm. when they were cel- celebrating a win. So they are absolutely furious and, and rightfully so. Um and then when there was radio silence from the PG MOL over it, you knew something was up because normally and think Carrigan made this point on Twitter. Normally um they kind of rushed to clarify something as um, so we knew that the apology was coming. And then I think when Gary Neville said, oh no, mm. um, as, as Sky Sports showed the uh, official statements, I think that kind of sums it up because there's a lot of um, contempt for those apologies. And, and fair enough, because as much as it is an admission of responsibility, A, what's going to kind of happen to change things? Probably nothing. And B, the damage that, that that's done to Liverpool's season isn't necessarily repairable and the thing is Liverpool have lost two titles by a point and and who knows if they're going to be in a position to to do that this year and but either way regardless of where they are a point could be really important and or or to you know the point that they lost certainly to a VAR from the 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 decisions that were made yesterday, you could argue that they might have even been on for more without the Jones Red card based on how they were playing. But certainly the Diaz one, you know, that's something that could do lasting damage and the fine margins are so important that an apology, you know, it just doesn't cost it unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I've ne- I've truly never seen anything like that and the feeling of injustice. I mean, you can only hope that it rallies the team, but it's unfortunately a decision that we're going to be talking about for for years to come. And obviously the extent to which we do is going to depend on how much it affects Liverpool and and their season this year. Um, The final decision that we have to touch on is um, a little bit different. It's Diogo Jota's red card. Um, I think the reading of this one there would probably be that the, the first yellow was a myth and the second one, in the circumstances, was quite stupid from Jota. I mean, how much sympathy can we have for him Given the tackle he puts in to get himself dismissed in the end.
1: Um I've read a few judgments on it from Liverpool fans and not Liverpool fans, and um, all pretty scathing of him over the second yellow. Um, I think would we'll probably have more sympathy than most because the first the, the first one was again was so utterly baffling. Um, like Udogi trips himself. Like I think that that seemed clear as day. Um And probably 90, about 90 seconds later when you know, Jonathan makes the, the forward got him the second yellow card and got him sent off, like he is probably still like so furious over the of the first yellow card that you know, he, he probably hadn't processed the you know, probably wasn't quite thinking clearly and you know, there was that bit of impetuousness about it. I mean, I can, again, I, I thought that in, in isolation, the second yellow card was an obvious booking and I can understand why people are saying, Yeah, what what's he doing? He's just actually booked. Why is he nothing for a tackle like that? Um like I mean I don't agree with Gary Newell's assessment that Jotan let his team down. Um because you know, I would have sympathy for him because of the okay the first one was so so wrong that and um, that it felt like yeah, hey, was still that was still playing in his mind when he when he made the and I suppose what other people argue that if, if he hadn't made the tackle, that if he let the uh, doggy just like, run off him and drop, made no attempt to try and get the ball, uh, or or bring him down, and something resulted from this, we're probably be saying, why did Johnny just let him run completely free? So um, yeah, I mean it's a, again it's a tricky one because I suppose when he was on yellow, he kind of had to go, but again, Simon Hooper made a rod for his own back by Romney giving them the first yellow card um, and I would say just to go off of it again just digress slightly is that I think we had six players who were either booked or sent off yesterday for Liverpool and the majority of those were for just really were stupid like, things like Joe you know, was talking back or like that to kick the ball away Andy Robinson basically got a yellow card because Pedro Poirot jumped into him and hit the ground and like, like, like Harry Kane used to do, like the classic jump into the air, all oh, go down and roll around a bit and make the ref think that I was followed, etc, etc. I got as I got think for, again, a minor bit of back chat, Addison for time wasting. What annoys me about those start to yellow cards is, you know what I mean, we all know the rules, you get five of them and you're banned for a match. Um. Like, like imagine like, and no it wasn't but imagine if if you got a fifth book and let's, let's just say something like that happens the week before we play Man City and you know someone like Zabazai or Allison picks up a yellow for draw you know, something innocuous um, and they miss draw you know, a potential potential the defining game of the season. Like as I said, Ming like Ming's got what is the yellow like, card for booting Corey Gakpo in the chest last year? Like and same punishment for Anderson starting for a few seconds to take a goal kick. It doesn't add up.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. To be honest, and um, I think Alexis mcallister has got three yellow cards now and uh, two more, and he's obviously Music. going to pick up a suspension. So I think there's probably going to be a problem that affects teams across the the league this year with the, the stricter the stricter rules. Um, in terms of a few players missing games here and there, more so than we've seen in previous years. I think it's pretty simple, this one. I mean, the first yellow is just completely nonsensical, I'd say. And then the second one is, you know, pretty stupid from from Jota to do that, in all honesty. And um, it remains to be seen if Liverpool are down to kind of three forwards for the game against Brighton, but you'd think so. Because uh, Gakpo went off injured, we won't get into that until we know a little bit more about... um, what's happened there, but it looks a little bit worrying at the moment, certainly with the knee problem that he sustained not long before he actually equalised Liverpool. But yeah, I um, think the Jota one is probably the one I, I'm least angry about, even even though the, the first yellow card was obviously, just shouldn't have been given in, in any universe. And uh, that probably says a lot about um, the way the game actually went yesterday. But moving away from the decisions, is there anything you look at and say Klopp or Liverpool could have done better in that game? Or did they do, in your eyes, absolutely every single thing they could to come away with a point?
1: I think the only thing I would maybe nitpick on a little bit was maybe the Spurs' first goal. and um, Though San did get in between the two centre-backs who, by and large, had an excellent game. I mean, that was... Just, I think the kind of perverse, the paradox about it is that even though it was the first... Um, game this season in which we've conceded two goals, I'm fairly sure there's any, um, it's actually, it was arguably our best defensive performance just in terms of because we were under so much duress, particularly towards the end, and not like all the defence, but like not a bit of a dyke in particular, for like Man Mountains for that period where we were down to nine men yesterday. Um, and as I I mean, the goal at the end is just, it's pure, utter bad luck. I mean, there's no, like, there's No other way of, look, of looking at it, and I think even the most ardent Spurs fan would probably look at it and say, Yeah, that was just a, a stroke luck which went our way. The same that Alder, I mean, the viral at Anfield in 2019 was, you know, just a, a, a stroke luck which went our way and decided a two-one victory for us. So I suppose that was maybe the wheel coming full circle in one sense, but um, no, overall, yesterday I think you'd have to be, I mean, I know. Like, Kloppen will probably do his own analysis and he would probably pick out certain things in the game where like, hey okay, we need to tighten up on this, this and this. But, I think as fans watching that, we couldn't have asked for any more from, especially, you know, being down to you know first to ten players and then to nine. Like, we couldn't have, like, the winning goal didn't come from, you know, a stupid back pass or, like, like, Allison giving the ball away to someone leaving with an open goal. It was just, up, pure utter bad luck that you cannot attach blame to any player for it. And I think to kick any Liverpool player for um, that performance yesterday would be harsh in the extreme.
0: Yeah, I saw a couple of people on Twitter say why did Liverpool commit so many players forward immediately before they conceded the winner. Um, I kind of understand where they're coming from, but also the kind of situation that it comes from with the ball going wide into Pogbao and then Pogbao crossing it. That's just gonna happen and that stage you're gonna be sitting very narrow mm. and even if there was an extra player back i think that same cross is coming in and Matip's facing the same sort of situation to try and clear it so i'm not in, in any way uh, frustrated about that um, the first goal i think you're right you know Liverpool, they get opened up and they'll have to look at what happened there um but the thing i would say is klopp when it when we went to nine men goes to a five three zero formation um and clearly, when you've got nine players, you can't think about seriously winning the game. You've got to think about just, you know, taking the point that you've already got. Um, I think he should have left one attacking player on the pitch um, just because it gives you more of an outlet. And I'm not even looking at the outlet as someone who's going to go and score, just someone who's going to be able to get Liverpool up the pitch and relieve the pressure a little bit and have a little bit more of the ball. And I think maybe you leave mohammed salah on to do that maybe nunez comes on to do that although while his hold-up play has been better recently i'm not sure he's 100 percent the best player for that scenario but just someone who's gonna you know you, you need a forward who's willing to kind of get back and basically defend um as part of the midfield but then when liverpool get the ball the bombing forward to just offer that that you know forward pass someone who's able to hold the ball up maybe win a foul or something like that it just felt a little bit like when we won the ball in midfield or defense there was just no one to kind of play to so liverpool would maybe make a pass into midfield they get pressed lose the ball kick it long lose the ball again i think they needed a bit more of a focal point at the, at the top of the team just to kind of relieve the pressure a little bit Um, i thought that was a little bit of a, a questionable call from Klopp to just completely take any attacking player off the pitch Um, obviously it's incredibly exceptional circumstances but um maybe he could have done things slightly differently there. I don't know if it's directly contributed to the results at all, but I just thought it didn't quite work out. And, you know, it's never going to look pretty with nine players, but it was completely and utterly relentless. And there might have been a scenario there where we um, are able to just relieve a little bit of the pressure.
1: I understand what you're saying, David. I'm going to play David's advocate slightly here because I think it's one of those where we hold out for the 1-1 I think the consensus is that was brilliant by Clock to just shut up shop, take the points away to a very good Tottenham side who are in flying form, have two extra players, and ultimately we'd still be net one point up on Man City have you hold up for a one one. I think if it was one of those where it was like later in the season, we're down to nine, the South Enfield maybe against the team in the bottom half, and Joe, you know, we hopefully are in a title race. I think in that circumstance, you know, you probably do have to let the maybe me let off the handbrake a little more, but I think in considering all the factors at play yesterday, um I like I, I can totally bow in that why Clock went for the setup that he did. I mean what you're saying makes total sense that you know there's always that possibility of a attack and so we've shown like we showed against Newcastle so we where man down and still be with two late goals and noon. Else. Um but I again, mean, I just myself, I'm not going to, I'm not going to gain clap over what he the way he decided to, to play that yesterday, and um, particularly when, doing a goal is just pure bad luck.
0: Yeah, I think you know, largely Clapp managed it very well, and I'm not going to be too critical of him at all. And I, I, want to stress on this that I'm not kind of talking about Liverpool going and, and winning the game necessarily, because no, that's unrealistic. I'm just mostly talking about someone who can kind of get up there run down the clock a little bit, win a couple of free kicks, you know, mm. just have a little bit of of possession that isn't in your own final third, basically, and maybe that's just completely unrealistic, but, and, you know, it's hard to get a reason of a situation with, with nine players, obviously. Just one last question, then Liam, to finish up. Um, what are the main positives Liverpool can take heading into the game against Brighton next week and just heading into, you know, the next few weeks and months of action from their first defeat of the season, but a valiant effort nonetheless.
1: Um, Yeah, I think pretty much that last part there some, um, summed it up that it was... Like, one of the things I think that has characterised the early weeks of the season you know, in coming from behind so often to win is that there is... I think there's a renewed character about the Liverpool team. So it was there for the title winning the season, it was there for the two seasons that we ran Men's City to a point. And it was absent for a lot last season, but it seems to be back now. And I think even that was that was on, on show yesterday. that, you know, we dug in um shoulders to the wheel, and and, we, and again we're just robbed. I think, <laughs> at the end, Um I mean you saw even like you probably seen the clip of Nunez after the game, like going up, like when the players went to their fans in the corner, and here's how he's doing the fist pump. He was pump beating the chest, you know, like we've seen Klopp do after so many wins. As if, I mean, that show of defiance. That all right, this one. No, didn't this one didn't have the happy ending but Joe you know, we're going to process this, put it behind us and Joe you know, get back on, on the horse again. Um like it would be very easy for Joe, you know, especially after John has read yesterday, for Liverpool to just kinda of say, Ah, you no, this is and you know, accept our fate and start you know, could have steamrolled him for a finish. Um but I think the yeah, definitely the the harsh that we showed. Um, I think the performances from like Allison again to outstanding saves in week succession. The defence as a whole, um, heroic, right right up to the final whistle. Um boss again, fantastic. Um, and Gap, I mean, another thing to highlight is Cody Gapbo. He's got like three goals in four or five games now. And the Wolves won Leicester midweek and, and again yesterday. And so nice to see he's like, again, we have to wait and see what comes of the injury that fourth him off yesterday, but again, he, he's putting his hand up now for, for selection Um, you know, in, in amongst this very strong competition that there is in our attack. Um, so, so, I mean, as I said, even though agonising as it was, you know, there are still plenty of... And I think it probably... I say even the players themselves in the manager are probably just glad that we're not playing again until Thursday. They actually had a very... Only four matches in, in 10 days. It was just like one result... Put it to the bed on the next game um. and it's, it, i think it's they'll probably be glad of just they have today just detox for monday go again prepare for union Jalaz on thursday night and um, hopefully win that and again back on the horse on the brighton then next sunday
0: yeah it's good to have that europa game and um, in between hopefully you can kind of you know, bring back the positive feeling a little bit. And uh, I think, you know, you make a good point now. Five days rest, which you're not going to get too much in in this phase of the season, definitely. Um, A couple of things that that I would say on this. Um, Number one, you know, Liverpool. If you'd said at the start of the day, Liverpool are going to lose to Tottenham, you're like, all right, well, we're five points behind Man City now. And that's a long way back, um, (sighs) even this early in the season. City have gone to a team that's probably going to be in the relegation fight this year and lost, and and that for me is a is a big positive to think that Liverpool have been able to have almost a free hit. And I know you can spin it the other way and think it's a missed opportunity, but City are also going to Arsenal um, next week, aren't they? Before yeah. the international break, and that's another chance. So I think, especially without Rodri, who seems to be you know arguably their most important player, so the window isn't closed on that one and um, in terms of just like the pure bitterness standpoint man united also lost not immediately relevant to liverpool now everton lost to lucerne you know it wasn't the worst day of results yeah. overall but strictly on like the the relevant side of things i mean in a weird way i think we're all more confident off the back of that that liverpool will be above tottenham will be the nearest challenger to manchester city over the course of the season not even based on the quality of the ninety-minute footballing performance, but just based on the fact that the the grit that characterises team at its absolute best has returned, and we know how much quality they have when they've got eleven players on the pitch, and you combine those two things, and I don't see anyone who can kind of get to that level, other than Manchester City. So I think Liverpool are, are still in a very strong position, and hopefully now they can respond next week. But before they play against brighton they have obviously got their second europa league match and we'll be back after that one with our reaction in the meantime if you have enjoyed this episode please do give us a five star review and if you follow the podcast and press the notification button you'll get a message every time we post a new episode and it will appear in your feed as well but yeah thanks very much everyone for listening and we will see you on thursday night